Welcome to Victory Over Communism with Bill Gertz, the only program in the free world unafraid to pull back the curtain of communism to reveal how China and even America's own brand of Marxism are posing real threats to freedom and democracy in America today. Your host and guide to victory over communism is the nation's most sought-after national security correspondent, Bill Gertz, who uses real facts, pinpoint analysis, and exclusive interviews to identify today's destructive communist ideologies. Now, Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz. This is the first of a series of bi-weekly podcasts I'm doing focusing on Chinese communism and American Marxism. It's also going to focus uh, on communism in North Korea, Cuba, and other places. Um, this is the, going to introduce the series, and future podcasts will really zero in on Chinese communism, American Marxism, the history of Marxism-Leninism, uh, Cuban communism, North Korean communism, and other factors. So, why am I doing this? Why victory over communism? Communism is an ideology. It's a system of thought and action that was first created by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels in the 1800s. It was solidified by Vladimir Lenin, who seized power in Russia in 1917, thus with the term Marxism-Leninism. Communism advocates destroying the world order it describes as capitalists and replacing it with a socialist system. In communism, Socialism is the final stage of historical development before the world is transformed into a supposed ideal system called communism. Uh, it's never happened and it will never happen because the ideology is based on false ideas and policies that have been catastrophic. Since Lenin seized power, the human cost of communism is staggering. As many as a hundred million people, probably more, have died as a result of this ideology. That is 100 million people whose lives were snuffed out by this false ideology. It is an anti-human ideology, and it has one overriding feature. It is anti-God. And I will emphasize that fact in clear and easy to understand terms. Communism is a false ideology based on fundamental misunderstandings, not only about economics, but of human nature itself. So, as I said, communism is an ideology and as a system of thought, it begins with certain beliefs and then it builds a philosophical system on those beliefs. It calls for a commitment and provides a plan of action. It claims to be scientific, but it's more aptly described as a belief system that, you know, it, it appeals to the natural religious urge in every person. Communism promises to realize the human dream of a utopia, yet it's been 105 years uh, since it first took hold in Russia, 1.5 billion people, nearly 20% of the world, uh, still live under dominion of communist regimes. More than a century after it emerged, the promise of communist utopia is nowhere in sight, and the reality is it never will be in sight. It's, again, because it's based on false ideas. The new existential danger on the world scene is not climate change, a frequent uh, shibboleth of Marxists seeking power through radical environmentalism. 
So it's China, and China announced its goal of achieving world domination by 2049 in basically a couple of decades. Uh, that year will mark the 100th anniversary of Chinese Communist Party's rise to power. Uh, the extinction of human freedom, therefore, remains a real possibility unless something is done to turn the tide. The problem, as I see it today, hundreds of millions of people around the world are completely ignorant about communism and especially its most dangerous variant, Chinese communism. Worse, if you look at public opinion polls, you'll see that support for communism is rising. Americans, especially young people, are increasingly in favor of socialism, which I view as a progenitor to communism. Polls show that even support for communism itself is growing. In 2019, a, a Pew poll found that more than one-third of millennials, thus between 23 and 38, actually approve of communism. So this is the reason that I'm launching the VOC podcast, VOC, Victory Over Communism. It's to educate people to the true nature of Marxism-Leninism and its variants. Uh, I regard this as an urgent task. It has to be done. It's something that is urgently needed, and I'm going to take on the challenge. Uh, talking about ideology is not easy. Uh, these are complex issues, political, philosophical ideas, uh, but I'm doing it because I believe that addressing the topic is the most important thing I can do right now. And I promise I'm going to make every podcast interesting and informative. Uh, so I'm looking at an hour-long podcast. It's going to be divided in four parts. The first will be a critique of the various communist ideologies. Next, I'm going to present a faith-based counterproposal. Third, I'm going to do a discussion of current events related to communism. And fourth, I'm going to do interviews with thought leaders. And uh, in my uh, journalistic experience, I've known a lot of people, and I'm going to get a lot uh, of good people to talk. So a little bit about myself. Uh, I've been a journalist and commentator covering national security and international affairs since the 1970s. I've written eight books, including four that were on the New York Times bestseller list. And currently, I'm a national security correspondent with The Washington Times. Of course, the views in the podcast are my own and not necessarily those of the Times. I cut my journalistic teeth during the Cold War and vividly remember the popular Polish uprising against communism in 1989. That led to the fall of the Berlin Wall and two years later, the fall of the evil empire itself, as Ronald Reagan called it, the Soviet Union. So the fall of Soviet communism was a glorious moment in history and uh, it led many people to conclude that, well, you know, hey, this is over, the Cold War is over. Unfortunately, that is not the case. And the reason for that is the Chinese Communist Party, which I call the CCP. It currently rules China with an iron fist, and it first split from Soviet communism during the Cold War. Beijing's communists carefully studied the Soviet collapse and decided there would be no similar collapse in Beijing. The communists went to work on deceiving the world into falsely believing, first, that they weren't really communists, and then that their brand of communism, dubbed Marxism-Leninism with Chinese characteristics, was different. Back in uh, 2007, I took part in a debate in New York City called Beware the Dragon, a booming China spells trouble for America. Uh, during the debate, one of the pro-China 
debaters. Uh, James McGregor, who described himself as a key advisor to both the U.S. and Chinese governments, told me after the debate, he said, you know, I've been doing business in China for 20 years and I've never met a communist. And I told him, I said, well, you need to go to the People's Liberation Army Museum in Beijing. I was there back in the late 1990s during one of my reporting trips. And if you go in that museum, you'll see that there are statues of Marx, Engels, Lenin, Stalin, Mao, all the leaders of communism. Uh, so it's a, it's been one of the major fallacies in uh, the debate over China that uh, China's not communist. Uh, every communist leader since Mao has viewed the United States as the key enemy. Uh, they see themselves as locked in a death struggle with the socialist China against the capitalist world led by the United States. And this is the reality today. Domestically in the podcast, I'm going to look at what I've called American Marxism and its numerous variants. I remember the new left radicals of the 1960s and 70s, American Marxists, and saw their brand of communism change tactics. After the 1968 Democratic Convention in Chicago when police cracked down on the new left radicals in the streets, they took a different approach. They said, we're going to make a long march through the institutions of America. The long march in China was Mao Zedong's drive for power in China, which led ultimately to them coming to power in 1949. The U.S. long march achieved a near comprehensive access to the levers of American power. Today, new left radicals and their offspring are in every position of power in society today, from the entertainment industry that produces media falsely portraying the United States as an irredeemably racist system that must be destroyed and rebuilt, to federal government policies that are built upon unspoken Marxist ideas and principles that are designed to enhance the power of socialist advocates and eliminate all traditional pro-American elements of society. The American uh, Marxist long march involved a systematic program of infiltrating every segment of society and ultimately government itself with the idea of bringing about a Marxist transition of the United States into a socialist system. Their goal is the elimination of capitalism, Marxism, Leninism's declared main enemy, and the creation of socialist and communist institutions of power. So while everyone thought that Soviet, the death of Soviet communism brought about the end of communism, the Chinese changed tactics, deceived the world, and basically uh, revealed that their goal was to win over the free democratic system led by the United States. China's ultimate goal is nothing less than the replacement of the democratic free world system with a tyrannical system of governance backed by high technology surveillance. We're really talking about a totalitarian system. So studying Chinese communism is going to be the central portion of the VOC podcast. And I think it's absolutely important that every person learn the real details about how China's Communist Party views communism as an ideology that motivates it to take control ultimately of the entire world. So the central point I'm going to emphasize in the podcast is that communism will never produce the promised panacea it offers because it's based upon a fundamental error, the denial of God.
The entire system of communist ideology and most of its socialist variants begins with the assumption there is no God. Marxist materialism and atheism begin from this point. Communism, despite its obvious failures, is continuing to spread, and their goal ultimately is world domination. You know, China's government exercises an incredible monopoly of power and control over the people, pre effectively preventing any successful overthrow of the government. It then uses its massive military power and high-technology repressive political police and security controls to threaten and ultimately bully the West into surrender to communist expansionism. One story I recently covered was that the communist government in China ended up bullying the Biden administration into preventing a strong reaction to China. In fact, they issued a demand, a list of demands that the Biden administration should follow in order to have good relations with China. At the top of the list was a demand that the United States stop opposing, quote, the socialist system, i.e. communism, in China. So in the podcast, I'm going to show that through more than a century of application, Marxism-Leninism continues to show that it's the most barbaric and inhuman principle of government to ever come to power in history. And this is a direct result of its central belief that there is no God. When there is no regard for God, then there can be no basis for morality. Therefore, communists can do anything without remorse. In its march to power, communism has destroyed, as, as I said, more than 100 million lives, and the number continues to increase, as shown by the genocide in China's western Xinjiang province, where minority Uyghurs and others uh, have been imprisoned uh, to the tune of some 2 million people. They've been placed in concentration camps, and this is part of a systemic program of elimination. Again, Beijing denies and lies about its crimes against humanities, but the heirs of Mao are continuing the same barbaric policies, but with the added benefit of decades of wealth provided by misguided free world leaders who foolishly assisted China's rise, mistakenly believing unfettered engagement would mitigate the danger and eventually produce a non-communist system. Communism is really the funeral march of humanity. At one time, communist ideologues proclaimed that by the year 2000, the entire world will live under communist utopia. Obviously, those goals were dashed, uh, and the defeat of the Soviet Union was a, a major setback. Let's take a short break. You're listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz. Featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Stand by for more after these important messages. If you enjoy listening to Victory Over Communism with your host Bill Gertz, then consider helping Bill in his important work of educating patriots just like you about how communism is very real and even more dangerous than ever before. Your donation to the Victory Over Communism program will help expand its reach across America and throughout the world. In fact, you'll be helping to provide the kind of information that may very well make its way behind the new Iron Curtain and inspire those living under communism to seek freedom. Supporting the Victory Over Communism program is easy. Just visit the GoFundMe website at GoFundMe.com and search Bill Gertz. 
Again, just visit GoFundMe.com and search Bill Gertz. Thanks for listening. And, God bless America. You're listening to Victory Over Communism, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. You know, efforts to oppose the advance of communism have been laudable, but the fact remains that the West and the free world is on the defensive. And this is clearly an ideological war. In my book, I War, War and Peace in the Information Age, I revealed that the free democratic world is engaged in a new kind of warfare, one that doesn't involve guns and bombs, but information and electrons. It's the kind of warfare that's going to dominate the 21st century, the Russian invasion of Ukraine recently notwithstanding. The problem today is that anti-communism is defensive in nature, and it's really been unable to resolve the problem of communism. A strategy for victory over communism is what is needed. We've, we've got to find a way to strategize and defeat communism ideologically. Even though Soviet communism is dead, the free world remains on the defensive ideologically. We urgently need new tools to confront communism and, again, to defeat it ideologically. That new tool is what I call VOC theory. It's a Judeo-Christian ideology based on the divine principle of the Reverend Sun Myung Moon. Reverend Moon was the founder of the Washington Times, and VOC theory exquisitely dissects the falsehoods of communism. For example... The fundamental guiding thesis behind communism and socialism is that global capitalism, led by the free and democratic United States, is the ultimate source of the world's evils, social injustice, inequality, other perceived societal ills. The VOC podcast is going to present a faith-based counterproposal that identifies the true source of the world's problems that are spiritual in nature stemming from a fundamental lack of understanding God, how humankind separated from God, and God's ideal and goals for bringing humanity out of the current confusion and chaos and turmoil and really producing a world of peace and freedom. Reverend Moon, who passed away in 2012, loved America. He came here as a prophet in the 1970s. His message was clear. America was built on an idea that it is a godly nation. He worked hard to teach patriotism and love of God as core principles. I knew Reverend Moon. Once fishing in Alaska, he told me that America's Pledge of Allegiance was correct in calling for one nation under God. What God wants to see is America extend that idea of freedom and democracy to make one world under God and ultimately one family under God. That's what he, he told me. The elements of the divine principle, the teachings of Reverend Moon, include the principle of creation, a basis for clearly understanding the purpose and goal of all humans, how God's ideal of humankind was lost through the fall of the first human ancestors, and how God has been systematically working throughout history to bring humankind back to its original God-centered position through the providence of restoration. 
These teachings provide hope for challenging the new advance of communism, and especially Chinese communism. They're deeply discovered truths that were revealed by God through intense personal suffering, including Reverend Moon's imprisonment under communism in a North Korean death camp during the Korean War. So it was based on this experience of being in a North Korean death camp that Reverend Moon determined that he was going to counter the advance of communist ideology and really strive to bring about a world of peace and freedom. Through extraordinary communion with God, he came to see clearly that there is no way to eliminate communism without confronting its ideology with a superior ideology or worldview. The essential ingredient of this worldview must begin with the idea of God. An affirmation of God's existence is the critical pathway to overcoming communism. Reverend Moon taught that just as light alone can overcome darkness, God alone can overcome godlessness. So this is the faith-based alternative that I'm going to be presenting in the VOC podcast. And it combines a truth-based critique of communism and a new worldview based on the divine principle. And I believe strongly that this is really the winning solution to the problem of communism. And it's effective in two ways. First, it carefully examines the ideology of communism and exposes the lies and deception. Second is the counterproposal to communism that offers a powerful logical and philosophical affirmation of the existence of God. This is really essential for modern day human intellectual and spiritual development. By vividly presenting God and his purpose of creation in human history, the divine principle enlightens, inspires, and motivates people of conscience. This is the worldview that really presents the solution to communism at its core. I think it's important to point out here that the divine principle does not advocate maintaining the status quo. It calls for change in the West as well as the communist world. The teachings recognize that under capitalism, exploitation and economic inequities exist in the world. Exploitation results from a narrow and selfish perspective of value. Corruption and a failure to understand the nature of God and his will in the West have assisted communism in its development and bolstered its appeal and calls for violent revolution. It is corruption in the West that allows communism to offer itself as some kind of liberator to the de developing nations from what Marxists call imperialist impression. So as long as there's selfishness and materialism that are left unchecked in the West, uh, there's not a lot of hope of really bringing an end to communism. We have to address the problems of our own uh, system as well. That said, uh, it's undoubtedly clear that capitalism has produced the greatest wealth and prosperity and freedom in human history. It's clear that it is really on the side of God. So the fundamental fallacy of communism is that the solution to the world's ills is changing the economic system of capitalism. That Again, the communists link that to the root of all evils. So the divine principle teaches that capitalism that has brought immense prosperity and freedom is not the problem. It's the problems within the human spirit. Only by resolving the contradictions within human beings brought about by the separation from God can we really eliminate evil. So the d divine principle is a, a two-edged ideological sword. 
One edge seeks to dispel the myths about communism and expose its evil. The other works to end the problems in the democratic world. So in this way, Western civilization can be restored to the God-centered tradition upon which true democracy and freedom can flourish. And we really can have a, a system in a world of peace and freedom. So the VOC podcast is proposing to inspire through education a dramatic change in the West. And this change can be achieved through a spiritual revolution in free societies and ultimately throughout the world. We've got to eliminate selfishness and trigger a true revolution of spirit. And that way, uh, we can really bring about the kind of changes that we need. Unless we change humankind itself, nothing's going to change. But once we change the human spirit, men and women who understand the nature of God and his original relationship with his lost family, society can advance toward a truly moral world of peace, prosperity, justice, equality, and freedom under God. The divine principle is the key to resolving the moral confusion in the Western system of values. This is accomplished first by providing a new ideological framework for Western thought. Divine principle then reassures people regarding the true purpose of life and urges the establishment of a harmonious relationship with the creator. Divine principle is a revelation. It's based on the foundation of Judeo-Christian tradition and teaches that humans are reconciled to God through the saving work of Christ. But at the same time, divine principle is not incompatible with other great faiths of the world. All great faiths stress basically the same thing, the need for the union between humankind and God. When the human heart and spirit are satisfied by God's love and truth, and when the practice of God's love has eliminated social injustice, then humanity is going to pass beyond the challenge of communism and its atheistic and materialistic variants. There's going to be no room for communism in human life, and ultimately the appeal of communism will be totally lost. So again, I stress in this podcast that communism is based on an anti-God ideology. It's an internationally organized and militant anti-religious movement at its core. So religious people in the West, and on the other hand, are fairly scattered and unmotivated, at least until now as we start to see uh, communism from China advancing around the world. Uh, More than this, the religious world has been weakened by division and petty infighting. And this is really a tragic situation. So it's imperative for the God-loving people to stand together on the front line and fight against the anti-religious force of communism. Ultimately, I'm going to present the view that all humankind should be united, for really, we all began as children of God. Beyond religious, cultural, and national differences, we are one family under one parent, God. We need to defend our heritage from a common enemy. This is the basic idea behind the Victory Over Communism ideology and my podcast. So it's sometimes referred to as Godism, but I'm going to call it the Victory Over Communism worldview, Victory Over Communism ideology. This is really the counter proposal that each podcast is going to convey. The time has really come for Western civilization to hear and embrace this message. And it is a message that is being embraced around the world by millions of people. 
The VOC podcast really is inseparable from the life and experiences of Reverend Moon. I mentioned that his experience in a North Korean labor camp. Um, He's a prophet. He was ordained by God as a young boy living in southern part of Korea when the country was cut in half between the Soviet-controlled North and the U.S.-influenced South Korea. Uh, While multitudes of his fellow countrymen were fleeing to the South from North Korea, Reverend Moon was called by God to journey to North Korea in 1946 to preach the gospel in communist North Korea. For two years, he was progressively harassed, he was beaten, he was tortured by communist authorities as he spoke the word of God. As a result of his teaching and of the Bible and vigorous propagation of God's message, he was finally charged by the communist authorities with, quote, spreading lies among the people. Sentence, five years in a labor camp in Hungnam, North Korea. The Hungnam camp was commonly known as a death camp. It was intended to destroy opponents of the communist regime through starvation and physical abuse. It was a fertilizer factory, and handling the fertilizer was just deadly. Most prisoners uh, perished within months. So Reverend Moon realized he couldn't survive on his own power, and he placed his life in the hands of God. And it was only through divine intervention that he survived. In 1950, after nearly three years of torture in the camp, he was liberated by advanced uh, UN troops under General Douglas MacArthur. He then resumed his ministry in the South and uh, felt strongly that he was chosen by God to initiate a new way of fighting communism. He understood the evil of communism. And he began to outline a system of thought that the highest dimension that would make clear the grave dangers of communist ideology and stimulate those in the God-affirming world to put an end to hypocrisy and live according to the truths taught by the world's great religions. So the worldview of the divine principle and its related victory over communism thought is the fruit of Reverend Moon's labors. In the early 60s, Reverend Moon founded the International Federation for Victory Over Communism that educated millions of people throughout Asia. Um, At one point, there were as many as 7 million people were under the International Federation. Still, Reverend Moon really understood that to clearly struggle and fight against communism, the United States was the central location. So he was called by God. He came to the United States in 1971 and was actively teaching the message there. In 76, the bicentennial anniversary of America, uh, he spoke to thousands of people at Yankee Stadium. I was there. I remember it very well. It was the topic was God's hope for America. And he warned America that uh, God had showered this country with so many blessings. But it was not for America's sake, but for America to share those blessings with the world. He understood that clearly. And he declared that God was leaving America as immorality and lawlessness were spreading. So America's greatness and pride stem from God, he said. With God, America deserves that blessing and will remain as the mightiest nation. Uh, If you allow God to leave the country, the nation will decline. That was his warning. It It will be subjugated by satanic hands. So when this happens, the future of America, he said, will be dismal and tragic, and America will become a living hell. And I'll quote from his speech there because I think it's so important. When God's blessing is great 
and one forsakes God's will, God's punishment is equally great, he said. In the early 1960s, America seemed to be the hope of the world, and the symbol of America was the city of New York. Today, however, the world has lost, lost faith in America, and New York has become a jungle of immorality and depravity. It has been transformed into a city under attack of evil. Chicago is no different, Los Angeles nor Los Angeles. Throughout all America, Satan is becoming the master. God has been forgotten in this country, and if forgotten, God can only leave. Now this is the very moment that this is taking place. Of course, uh, one need only look at the riots that took place in the summer of 2020 to know that this is a real danger. Um, he came to this country to build a new world centered upon God, and he understood that unity in the free world will be able to liberate the enslaved communist world. He worked very hard to bring down the Soviet Union and was very successful. We're going to continue that work now to bring down the communist world in China. So in 1980, Reverend Moon founded Causa International. It was really focused on providing Latin Americans who were really threatened by communism uh, an ideological framework uh, for uh, the struggle against communism. Chapters were set up in 21 nations throughout South and Central America. Eventually, uh, CAUSA expanded to the United States. And it, again, it, its work provided key lectures and conferences on the divine principle ideology. Religious and political leaders uh, were, were able to see that this new movement can end both the ideological confusion and really turn the, uh, the tide of Western retreat while providing the drive and determination to pursue the cause of freedom. Since Reverend Moon's passing in 2012, um, his wife, Hak Jahan Moon, has really continued the battle against communism. She has traveled the world and spoken out against communism and really worked to bring about the unification of North and South uh, Korea. So I'm hoping that this Victory Over Communism podcast will really serve as a vital source for those who wish to understand Marxism-Leninism, really understand its nature and its destructive social implications, and really learn that a God-centered alternative and worldview is really what's going to be absolutely essential in countering the advance of communism and stimulating a moral renaissance throughout the world. So a lot of the teachings that I'm going to be presenting, uh, again, are Re Reverend Moon's thought. They were initially outlined by the late Dr. Sang-Hun Lee of the Unification Thought Institute in Seoul, South Korea. Many of the ideas I will be presenting in the VOC podcast were first developed by the late Dr. Bohee Pak, a Korean War veteran and close advisor to Reverend Moon. Others uh, involved include Dr. Thomas Ward, President and Professor of Peace and Development at the Unification Theological Seminary, and Mr. William Lay, the former Vice President of CAUSA International. I'll be right back after a short break. You're listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Stand by for more after these important messages.
Want to learn more about the dangers posed by the Chinese Communist Party? Take a step inside Communist China's drive for global supremacy in Bill Gertz's latest book, Deceiving the Sky. The nation's leading national security journalist Bill Gertz meticulously offers his research and backs up his facts to help you understand how the Communist Party of China has arrived in the 21st century as an evil empire. An evil empire even more dangerous than a Cold War version of the Soviet Union. As only Bill Gertz can report, Deceiving the Sky, Inside Communist China's Drive for Global Supremacy details the West's failure to understand the real dangers posed by China and what the United States can do to counter their threats. Deceiving the Sky, Inside Communist China's Drive for Global Supremacy. This is the single most important book you can read to learn about the threat posed by Communist China. Get your own copy of Deceiving the Sky, available at gertzfile.com, that's G-E-R-T-Z-F-I-L-E.com, or at deceivingthesky.com. You're listening to Victory Over Communism, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. This is the third part of our podcast, and this is where I'm going to talk about world affairs and international relations and share some of the stories of my decades of experience as a national security reporter. So the Russian military invasion of Ukraine was really earth-shattering in the sense that it was a geopolitical event, and in my view, this is going to create really a new Cold War. Only this time it's not led by the Soviet Union, but by the People's Republic of China and the ruling Chinese Communist Party. So we're going to review how the Chinese Communist Party uh, had a role and has a strategy of really trying to back uh, the Russia of Vladimir Putin. On February 4th, Putin traveled to Beijing for a meeting with Chinese Supreme Leader Xi Jinping. The Russian leader was in Beijing for the opening of the Olympic Games that were quickly dubbed the Genocide Games uh, for China's role in the repression of Uyghurs, the genocide of the Uyghurs and other minorities. Um, at that time, they signed a document outlining a new strategic cooperation agreement between Beijing and Moscow. And it was fairly extraordinary at considering that the world was really bracing for the upcoming Ukraine invasion, which really, again, has put us on the brink of, of World War III. And the uh, the February 4th agreement that was signed was really amazing in the sense that it said that there were really no limits to Chinese and Russian cooperation. They were really signaling that this was a new step forward in the axis of evil, so to speak, between uh, China and Russia. And then let's see how it played out. How did this new cooperation play out? And I did a uh, report for the Washington Times recently, which revealed that in a bid to try and stop the Russian invasion of Ukraine, the Biden administration undertook an extraordinary effort to literally share intelligence information with China on Russian troop deployments that were arrayed across the border between Russia and Ukraine and also between 
Belarus and Ukraine. So sharing intelligence with America's main adversary and even the Biden administration has identified China as its main strategic competitor, which is code for an adversary. But the worst part about this diplomatic outreach was that instead of Beijing using that information to act as what they have dubbed a responsible stakeholder in the world international order, they took American intelligence, American secrets, and they shared those secrets with the Russians. And this is just unprecedented. Uh, the idea was, again, to try and forestall an invasion. It didn't work. And the betrayal uh, was that they gave the information to uh, Moscow. And I want to quote a uh, person familiar with the issue. Our information indicates that China then relayed that information to Russia, noting that the U.S. was attempting to sow division between China and Russia, and that China would not try to dissuade Russia from invading. Uh, this is really unprecedented. So the exchanges, this began in December of 2021, and they continued right up till February 24th, when the Russian military forces launched uh, strikes throughout Ukraine. And that day, it was a last-ditch appeal was made uh, to the Chinese ambassador uh, in Washington in response. And he got the same Chinese talking points about defending Russia's so-called legitimate security interests. Um, so this is uh, really an amazing uh, event. And the intelligence, again, was about the large-scale Russian troop movements. They, were, they had as many as 150,000 troops armored vehicles uh, arrayed against the borders. And the buildup was, was unprecedented. It was clear they were going to invade. Uh, China was also notified that, you know, there's going to be sanctions on Russia and they're going to impact China because of its commercial ties with Russia. And yet uh, the Chinese made their choice. Uh, they, they went clearly. They're, they're not directly supporting uh, Russia. It's very similar to the kind of activities that they're doing with North Korea, pretending to cooperate with the West in trying to resolve the problem of the rogue regime in North Korea, uh, and at the same time, uh, tacitly supporting them. We're seeing that now, and this is, again, producing a new axis of evil in the world. Uh, the nations involved are Russia and China, North Korea and Iran. Uh, you know, the, uh, the military even has an acronym for it. They call it cricket for uh, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea. Um, I, I raise this point because uh, it, it's, it's really amazing to me that uh, they have tried to share intelligence. And it, it reminds me of a story about uh, intelligence sharing that involved a Chinese spy inside the Defense Intelligence Agency. Uh, those of you familiar with my books and writings will know that I've reported on this, but I think it's worth sharing. Uh, this is the story of uh, Ronald Monteperdo, uh, who was the DIA's top analyst on the Chinese military. And he also happened to have uh, two friends who were Chinese military attaches posted to the Chinese embassy in Washington. And now sometime around uh, the late 1980s, early 1990s, 
there was a defector uh, who came from China and revealed to U.S. intelligence that there were a number of, quote, dear friends within the U.S. government who were secretly working for Beijing. Uh, the FBI approached uh, Monteperdo and asked him if he was a Chinese spy, and he said no. Uh, it was not a real investigation, obviously. And uh, there was one problem. Uh, Monteperdo refused to take a polygraph test. And, uh, you know, in the FBI, they used to call that a clue. But in this case, they looked the other way. Uh, Ron had all the right politics. He had all the right friends. Uh, and it was, uh, it was such that they did not pursue the case. Uh, but uh, so he, he left. He didn't lose his security clearance. And he went to uh, the Pacific Command, which had, which is now Indo-Pacific Command. It had an Asia-Pacific Center for Security Studies. And there he became another analyst. And he continued to have his security clearance. Uh, the, at some point in the uh, history of this case, the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, NCIS, uh, decided they had some suspicions, they had some new information, and they decided they were going to make a run at Ron Monteperdo. And what they did was they said, Ron, we know that when you were at DIA that you wanted to share intelligence with the People's Liberation Army. Uh, again, he had a naive approach that China was somehow a quasi-ally and could be trusted. Uh, instead, um, he uh, was told, no, this is not going to happen. So as part of a sting operation, uh, they went to Monteperdo and they said, Ron, we're now going to share intelligence with the Chinese. And we think that uh, you should head it up. But before we do that, we would like you to tell us all about your past relations with Chinese intelligence. So uh, according to someone who was in part of the debriefing of him, uh, Monteperdo began to tell how he had shared information with the, his two friends at the Chinese embassy in Washington. And at a certain point, uh, a light bulb went off in his head and he said, uh-oh. And he realized he was part of a FBI NCIS sting investigation and clammed up. Uh, that would lead to his pleading guilty, ultimately, not to espionage, but to mishandling classified information. Um, you know, I point out that the reason for this, I remember in my experience getting into reporting on China a number of years ago, I went to the Defense Intelligence Agency and I was given a briefing uh, as a reporter on the People's Liberation Army. And at the end of the briefing, uh, a colonel came in and said, the, the general would like to see you. The general, it turned out, was the head of the DIA. And he sat down at the end of a long conference table in a windowless conference room at the Pentagon. And he said, Bill, the Chinese are not a threat. And I said, well, why do you think that? And he told me, uh, basically, I'm paraphrasing that, uh, because of their statements. And this was truly shocking to me and really led me on the course of ex examining the problem of China within the U.S. government, which for decades has been allowed to be followed up on and basically supported, uh, even though it was a communist government that ultimately was seeking uh, the destruction of the United States. And it was only a few years after that that I realized that he was probably getting bad information from Ron Monteperdo uh, at the DIA. 
So I, I recall that uh, story as uh, part of my uh, experience. And uh, I want to thank you again for listening. Let's take a, uh, a short break and we'll be back. You're listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Stand by for more after these important messages. If you enjoy listening to Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz, then consider helping Bill in his important work of educating patriots just like you about how communism is very real and even more dangerous than ever before. Your donation to the Victory Over Communism program will help expand its reach across America and throughout the world. In fact, you'll be helping to provide the kind of information that may very well make its way behind the new Iron Curtain and inspire those living under communism to seek freedom. Supporting the Victory Over Communism program is easy. Just visit the GoFundMe website at GoFundMe.com and search Bill Gertz. Again, just visit GoFundMe.com and search Bill Gertz. Thanks for listening. And, God bless America. You're listening to Victory Over Communism, featuring exclusive interviews with today's top newsmakers and trendsetters. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. I'm joined now by Niall Gardner. Niall is the director of the Heritage Foundation's Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom and the Bernard and Barbara Lomas Fellow. Uh, Welcome, Niall. Thanks for doing this. So my pleasure. Great to talk to you, Bill. Yeah. Um, I'd like to ask you, I'm doing a podcast on uh, ideology, communist ideology. I'm looking at uh, mainly two aspects of it. One is Marxism-Leninism with Chinese characteristics, and the other is American Marxism. Uh, For our uh, purposes, let's take a look at events that are dominating our world right now, which is the uh, Russian military invasion of Ukraine. And I'd like to ask you, since you're very well-versed in looking at European affairs, what do you see as the long-term implications of this military operations? My own view is I think that the Chinese are going to come eventually to dominate Russia. I believe that Xi Jinping has his idea of the so-called China dream which is to expand Chinese influence globally. And I see. I think he sees this as an opportunity to return uh, Russia under Putin to a more uh, Marxism-Leninism with Chinese characteristics system. What's your take? Yeah, that's a in- very interesting point, uh, uh, Bill. And, and I think that, uh, you know, without a doubt, what we're seeing uh, with regard to the Ukraine crisis is, you know, close collaboration between uh, Moscow and and Beijing. I think the, you know, the partnership between the Russians and the Chinese is at its closest point, certainly since, uh, you know, the 1950s. Uh, And I think this will be one of the, you know, perhaps enduring legacies of of the Biden era of weakness in US foreign policy has been the strengthening of the, uh, you know, the extremely dangerous uh, partnership and axis between uh, Moscow and, and Beijing. Uh, and, you know, without a doubt, I think, you know, the Chinese, they, they see themselves as the, you know, as the bigger uh, partner here, as, as sort of the rising, uh, you know, superpower of, of the East. Uh, and, um, you know, the Chinese, of course, uh, will support any effort by 
uh, by the Russians to undermine uh, the position of the West, undermine uh, U.S. leadership in the world, uh, to um, you know project a kind of challenge actually to you know to uh, to the West's uh, you know dominance actually, uh, and so I do think that the Ukraine uh, invasion on many fronts is is very significant in terms of the you know the growing closeness between. Uh, uh, Moscow and, and Beijing on so many fronts as well. You're also seeing that collaboration uh, with regard to Taiwan, with regard to Iran, where uh, Russia and, and China are closely uh, partnering in terms of, uh, you know, the the negotiations for a uh, you know possible new uh, nuclear uh, deal. Uh, and um, you know, on every single corner of foreign policy, I think the Russians and the Chinese are, are working very closely uh, together, and certainly. Um, I think one of the goals, as you outlined, Bill, is for, uh, you know, for Russia to, uh, you know, to embrace uh, perhaps a sort of communist style uh, worldview. And, and of course, you know, Russia with its track record of, of uh, you know, hugely destructive communist ideology, uh, I think is, is open to a lot of that under the, the Putin regime. Uh, after all, I, I think that, you know, Vladimir Putin is in many respects the sort of natural heir to uh, today to both, uh, you know, uh, Stalin and, and Hitler. And you look at the way he's operating in Ukraine. Uh, he is implementing both, you know, traditional sort of Soviet style strategy combined with the tactics of Nazi Germany, actually. And, you know, and this frankly suits the interests of, of China's Communist Party uh, rulers who uh, who would uh, dearly like to see the, uh, you know, the Russians once again folding into the, the sort of communist uh, ideological fold. Yeah, it uh, it seems to me that the Russians are a strange bird ideologically. On the one hand, uh, so much of Soviet communism is kind of infused uh, culturally in uh, Putin's world outlook. Um, yet, uh, and we see reports about uh, you know photos of Stalin appearing in many uh, Russian government offices. Uh, on the other hand, they seem to have a an affinity with the Russian Orthodox Church, um, and and as you said, so it, it has more of a uh, kind of a, a fascist kind of approach. Um, what do you think is going to happen in the aftermath of Ukraine with Russia ideologically? Will it become more fascist, or do you think uh, the idea of restoring the Soviet Union will lead them back into some sort of uh, Marxist? Uh, ideology that would be their guide. Yeah, it's role. an interesting dynamic, interesting dynamic, Bill. And it's striking that, uh, you know, we've seen footage of some Russian military vehicles, uh, you know, flying the hammer and sickle of the old mm -hmm. Soviet Union. Uh, and yeah. and clearly, I think Putin is is someone who seeks to, to rebuild the frontiers of the old Soviet empire. He's also somebody who I think is fixated on build, rebuilding the frontiers of the old, you know, imperial Tsarist uh, era as well. So he, I think he borrows from that also. And in addition to that, um, you know, Putin clearly, I think, uh, you know, admires a lot of what Hitler did in Europe. And we're seeing those tactics used in in Ukraine today, where whereby, you know, uh, Putin is advancing some of the exact same goals that Adolf Hitler advanced actually in the same part of the world. Uh, and and so, you know, with, with good reason, of course, you know, ahead of World War II, the Nazis and the Soviets collaborated very, very closely. They later 
fought each other. But initially, of course, they collaborated and they cooperated in the early part of World War II. And that's because Nazi and and communist ideology are very similar in many in many respects, actually. Um, I also find it striking to see how, um, you know, in Ukraine, there's now, of course, uh, an exodus of, of Jews from the country as a result of, of uh, you know, Putin's invasion. And Putin is actively sending in Chechen Islamist terrorists to hunt down and basically kill Christians and Jews inside uh, inside Ukraine. And so there's this fiction that, you know, Putin is some sort of, you know, supporter of, of Christian civilization or defender of, of Western civilization. The reality is he's actively killing both Christians and Jews on the ground in, in Ukraine. He is the enemy of Judeo-Christian civilization. Uh, and, and I think Putin has adopted you know, a lot of the, the kind of thinking that was prevalent in Nazi Germany, in Stalin's Russia, but also, of course, some of the, the broad thinking that was uh, around during the days of the uh, the old imperial Tsars, actually. So, you know, I think he's influenced by many different strands here. But, um, you know, the way things are moving, I, I, I think that you will see a revival in Russia of communist style thinking under Putin. And also, of course, the implementation of Nazi-style ideology as well. And that's an incredibly dangerous combination. And you saw how deadly that was uh, when when the Nazis and Soviets, uh, you know, united together in the Nazi-Soviet pact ahead of World War II. Yeah, um, let's uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about how uh, President Biden and the Biden administration have approached this. <clears throat> um, recently, there was testimony uh, in Congress that talked about the issue of uh, sending Polish MiG jets to Ukraine, which were needed in support of the Ukrainian military there. And it was revealed at this hearing that the intelligence was misused by the Biden administration uh, in the sense that, first of all, it was okay for Poland to send the jets, but when Poland decided that they would like the U.S. to have them on the base and let the Ukrainian pilots off there, they ginned up an intelligence estimate which said that this would be too escalatory. Senator Tom Cotton uh, and Senator uh, Richard Burr made the point that, well, how could this be escalatory when we're already sending uh, anti-tank missiles and anti-aircraft missiles? And we've agreed that the polls could send it directly. Uh, it's clear to me that uh, this they've they've mishandled this. And I know uh, I saw your comment on Twitter that this was tremendous weakness on the part of the Biden administration. What do you think, uh, Margaret Thatcher, were she in charge today? How sh how would she have responded to Putin's aggression? Yeah, I think you know, I'm without a doubt, if we had Margaret Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, you know, in office today, Putin. And his ilk would not dare attack Ukraine uh, because, uh, you know, I think the kind of strength of leadership that you had in the West at that time was a big deterrent for, you know, for Russian aggression. But, you know, when you had the likes of, you know, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris running the show in Washington, well, Putin doesn't fear anything at all, does he? Uh, and uh, and so, you know, Margaret Thatcher, if she were faced with a situation where you had a Russian invasion of, of Ukraine, she would be doing everything humanly possible to support the Ukrainian people, but also to support her allies in the direct line of fire. Poland, for example, uh, offering to send all of its MiG fighters to Ukraine. Uh, she would have supported that 100 percent. Biden has thrown the polls under the bus. So, you know, Margaret Thatcher would have been appalled by by Joe Biden's uh, you know, treatment of Poland. And Poland is our most important ally in Eastern and Central Europe. 
um, and uh, at the heart of Europe. And, you know, Margaret Thatcher would be absolutely horrified by, by Joe Biden's approach here because not only has, has the Biden administration basically slapped the polls in the face here, but they've also flat out lied claiming that the polls didn't, you know, inform them what they're doing. This is just complete nonsense. Anyone who understands the workings of the Washington, you know, uh, political uh, and foreign policy machine will know full well that the polls would not be making this kind of move without fully alerting the United States in the first place. And so this whole idea that, that uh, you know, the White House didn't know what's going on is just completely preposterous. And so we have an administration that not only throws our allies under the bus, but actually completely lies as well about it. Uh, and it's absolutely disgraceful. And, you know, Mar Margaret Thatcher would have been, I think, hugely dismayed by the kind of uh, weak need leadership that you see in the White House today. Uh, she would have told, you know, Joe Biden to go and get a spine, basically, uh, and to, to stand up as leader of the free world. So uh, I think that's how she would have responded. Yeah, I agree with you. I think she had much clear understanding of uh, geopolitical power. She she understood well uh, back in the Cold War the dangers of communism. Uh, she saw the Gorbachev uh, regime came in place, and um, that was a, a step to ultimately defeating the Soviet Union. Yeah, it was very interesting. We all saw the collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991, and uh, we figured that uh, that the end of the Cold War was over and that uh, the end of communism. I've uh, I think we've got to reassess now, especially in light of the advances of uh, of Chinese communism. How do you think Margaret Thatcher would view uh, Chinese communism today, especially as it's enunciated by Xi Jinping in Beijing? Yeah, I think she would have, you know, recognized um, uh, China's communist rulers as just an immense threat. Uh, to the free world and she would have you know i think warned the free world uh with regard to the the huge consequences of any policy of appeasement towards uh, the chinese communist party uh I, I mean no doubt that margaret thatcher would have been at the forefront of standing up to communist china today uh she made multiple warnings of course when she was prime minister about the direction that china was was taking even back then uh and um and she uh you know, she she also warned about uh, you know the potential consequences for Hong Kong as well, and and uh, of course Hong Kong was handed over uh, under a you know a hundred year treaty back to China in 1997. But she was very very concerned about what would happen to Hong Kong, and she was proven absolutely right that Hong Kong has now become subject subjugated by the the brutal and barbaric rule of China's Communist Party regime. It has lost all its freedom and sovereignty, uh, and and Margaret Thatcher uh, you know warned about this actually when she was Prime Minister. Uh, and so she would be today, if she were still with us, I, I think, uh, on the front line of standing up to China's communist uh, rulers and, and rallying the free world to stand up to, to both China and, and Russia. That, that, that was always her instinct. Um, she was a leader of tremendous principle and courage, and she would have stood up to the Chinese and to the Russians. Niall Gardner, director of the Heritage Foundation's Margaret Thatcher Center for Freedom. Thank you very much. It's my pleasure, Bill. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thanks for listening to Victory Over Communism with award-winning national security correspondent Bill Gertz, the only program in the free world unafraid to pull back the curtain of communism to reveal how China and even America's own brand of Marxism are posing real threats to freedom and democracy in America today. See you next time on Victory Over Communism with your host, Bill Gertz.